Today is Acts 29's Church Planting Sunday, and so today we celebrate this value that we hold dearly of church planting, the importance that we see in church planting. And so this begs the question, uh, we got the, the fancy literature on the tables around us and all this stuff, and we're, and we're committing a day to this um, and kind of breaking from our normal flow of teaching through a book of the Bible. And so why? Why would we do this? Or if the topic is church planting, why do we want to plant churches? What is it that is so important about church planting? And this is where I want to start. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? He said, pray then like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. And what's that next line? Hallowed be thy name. And there's a tension in that. Because then even right after that, what does he say next? thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so where it is uncontested in heaven, everything is done exactly as you want, that's what we want here. And so you go back to that first request, or hallowed be your name. There's a tension in that, because the reality is, when I look in my own life, his name is not always hallowed. And when we look around the world, it's overwhelmingly clear that his name is not actually always hallowed in this world. And so Jesus is teaching us to plead with the Father, like this is what we want, align our hearts with your heart, that you are glorious, your name is actually hallowed, like we know the truth of this reality that God, you are holy, there is no one like you, and yet this world is living so much in opposition to that, and so that's what we want, God, here, now, we want your name to be revered, we want your holiness, your glory to fill the earth as the waters cover the oceans, this is the, the prophecy looking for, that's what we want here, and that is what is to come, but we live in this tension of it's not yet here. And so you go back to our conclusion of Mark last week and talking about we get this mission as Jesus the cloud rider ascends back to heaven, to sit down on the throne at the right hand of the Father. These are our marching orders, to go make disciples of all nations. We want his name to be hallowed across the planet. We want people to know him. We're given this great commission. And what is true from scripture and what we see throughout history now is that the church is the primary vehicle through which God's mission advances. And the language of Paul to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, he says, to God be glory in the church. The church is the arena of God's glory where we live in his kingdom and his kingdom comes to bear on this planet. And so this is what we want. It is through more and more churches that this mission advances. And so that's our call. Uh, missiologist C. Peter Wagner, who's pretty famous for pulling together a ton of research on how churches operate effectively and so forth, he says this, he says, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. You want to see more people come to know the freedom that is found in Christ, the forgiveness, the joy. Remember, this is Jesus who said he came that our joy would be complete. That's what his desire is for us. And so we want more and more people to live in that kind of light and freedom. It's in the church that we plant more churches and that is accomplished most effectively. And we look in scripture. I remember our first year as a church when we planted Beloved Church, we spent a year walking through the book of Acts. This early history of the early church as Luke is recording, doing all these interviews and he's like, look, Theophilus, this guy he's writing to, this, this is what I've seen. 
This is how this is played out. And what was one of the main characters, Paul, throughout this, this apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's trying to spread this gospel across the known world. And how did he do that? What was his strategy? Planting churches. But he would go from city to city and he would often start with concentrated populations, larger cities, and he would start planting churches and then try to set things in order and basically kind of give these other guys authority like Titus, hey, Timothy, you guys, you're gonna stay here for a while. I want you to put things in order, set up eldership, have pastors here, make sure that these things are functioning, healthy churches so they can multiply and plant more churches. And so this is how it is done. Uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, he said it like this. He said, dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, meaning 60 to 80% from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body, while churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members by transfer from other congregations. So if we want to be about just growing a big church, then you just try to bring people from other churches. And that's okay. Like, there, there's nothing wrong. Um, most of us are here from other churches at some point. But our heart is not to just bring people from other churches. Our heart is to reach people who do not yet know that God's name is to be hallowed. That he's to be revered. And that is actually for their good. It is to serve those who are far from God and bring them that God is a missional God. And so we go to them like he came to us. So this is how we do it. We exist to be about the name of Jesus, not building our own empire. It's about his kingdom. And so we don't want to have just a lot of people saying like, wow, look at how big they are. We want to look at how big God is. And so the way to most effectively do that is to plant more churches. And so that is our heart. We want to plant more churches. And so um, this this reality is that we're part of this network called Acts 29. And so I'm going to stop talking and let you see something really quick. Acts 29 is a global network of over 700 churches worshiping in 50 countries with nearly 30 languages. And we are committed to planting healthy, multiplying churches in every corner of the world. God is a global God and that he works through different ethnicities and cultures and languages around the world. Being faithful to God's great commission to make disciples and to plant churches. Churches characterized by theological clarity, cultural engagement, and missional innovation. We believe that uh, the church is God's primary mission strategy for establishing his kingdom and his presence on earth. We want to reach people with the gospel, and our reach is amplified through Acts 29 as a network, so more people will know and worship him. Each one of our members has been blessed by all the training that we have received as planters. We want our church to be a praying church and also a church that disciples others. This is what we do and this is who we are. We are people who plant churches. So Acts 29 accomplishes its mission uh, primarily through three things. By assessing potential church planters. We provide continued assistance for churches and leaders through coaching, trainings, and also relational connection. We get to collaborate with the whole Bride of Christ to plant churches, not only just in our areas, but we partner globally to plant churches. And as we partner together with Acts 29, with churches around the world, our efforts are multiplied and God is glorified when we work together as a church. 
This is Acts 29. 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 So we are a member church of Acts 29, and today we want you to know what Acts 29 is about. So there's some literature actually around you that you can take and know kind of more about who um, Acts 29 is and how you can be praying alongside and supporting this mission. Um, but as an Acts 29 church, um, the, the beauty of the name Acts 29, like where does Acts 29 come from? If you're familiar with the book of Acts, um, there are 28 chapters. And so the idea is that we are the 29th chapter. We are the continuation of this mission until Christ comes again to advance his kingdom so we're preaching this gospel. And so the question now that I want to end with is, is beloved planting churches? Are we? And we say this is what we're about. And so are we planting churches? And some of you who are newer may not know this, but we have said this from the beginning that we don't want to grow and be a megachurch. And it's not that there's something inherently wrong with a megachurch, but our heart is we want to see communities where people are known and discipled. And so we want to grow. My hope, my dream for us is let's disciple others into the church so well that when we reach about 300, we can say, we need 50 to 100 of you to take off. Go plant another church. And then grow and grow and invite people into community and discipleship to the glory of God and then multiply again. And so we want to do that here locally. And so I pray regularly that some of you will have a heart for planting another church even here in South Lake County. But not just here. We exist for the glory of God across the globe. And so we also want to plant churches around the world. And our first year, um, we met an individual and I became good friends with them. And we actually sent them out um, in August of our first year as a church. And they went to Kampala, Uganda to plant a church. Um, these are our dear friends, Derek and Ray Sakamalira. And so um, there's a prayer that our prayer team lead wrote. And so we, we would encourage you to take that and pray that over them. Um, but today we have the privilege of actually listening to Derek open God's word for us. And so I'm going to um, avert your attention to the screen because of COVID. We can't travel to Africa or him here at this point from Kampala. Um, but he has graciously um, given us uh, a message from God's word to encourage us um, because the, the partnerships that we have, it's so easy to think they're like, oh, like well, we're just supporting them because 10% of all of our giving goes to church planting. And so we support them. We are the reason why, by God's grace, they're able to be there and do this work. And yet, it's not just us being the, the parent church thing like, oh, we got you. No, they serve us as much as we serve them. Um, he is really encouraging me, challenging me. I learn from him. He learns from me. It's this beautiful relationship that goes both directions. And so today, he is going to serve us by opening God's word. So I invite you to give your attention to Derek as he preaches to us from God's word. Hello, beloved church. My name is Derek Sekamalera. My wife Ray and I are privileged to serve as church planting missionaries in the capital city of Uganda, Kampala, in East Africa. And we are so thankful for your partnership with us in the gospel as we seek to make disciples by planting a gospel-centered church. Thank you so much for your uh, partnership, for your giving, for your prayers, and through your words of encouragement. It is my honor uh, this Sunday to be sharing with you from God's word as Pastor Kevin gave me this privilege, this church planting Sunday. So I'll be sharing from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 27 to verse 30. Philippians is an amazing book, so if you have a Bible, please turn there. And before I read, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father God, as I, 
As I speak your word, I ask that you direct my speech, that your Holy Spirit may work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus, to allow us to hear your word, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be challenged for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me, leave, let me read uh, from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle while he was in prison. He was in chains, he says. And yet his major concern was not his suffering, but it was the advancement of the gospel. And in fact, throughout his book, he rejoices that the gospel is going out. In chapter 1, he says that his imprisonment has led to more of the gospel going out. Because as he's chained to uh, soldiers, he's sharing the gospel uh, to them and some of them are coming to Christ. And in fact, other believers, as they are hearing about his boldness, they are being emboldened and that they themselves are becoming more confident in proclaiming the gospel. And Paul wrote to the Philippian church because he considered them, he says, as partners in the gospel. Because in the very beginning, they shared with him of what they had materially, but they were also engaged in the same ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Ordinary believers, actually, were actually engaged in the same ministry that the Apostle Paul was engaged in, of making Jesus Christ known. And in our passage today, I wanted us to look uh, briefly from these verses and there is one thing that Paul says he wants for them, at, for the Philippian church. And the same thing that the Lord wants for us. In verse 27. But he says there are two things I want us to see from this passage this, uh, this Sunday. He says, number one, that they live as heavenly citizens, worthy of the gospel. And number two, that they would strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And it's interesting that today churches and, and Christians often like to disintegrate, to disengage living uh, by the gospel and striving or proclaiming the gospel. And yet Paul had no such dichotomy in his mind. He saw both going hand in hand. So let us begin by seeing how Paul says to us that we are to live as citizens worthy of the gospel. In fact, in verse Verse 27, where he begins and he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of, of the gospel. And uh, above the word worthy, there is a superscript which tells you, and if you're to look down uh, under your Bible there, at least in my ESV, there is an explanation that the word that is translated there of, as a manner of life has this idea of living as citizens. 
and Paul, although he was writing to the Philippians, who many perhaps would have been Roman citizens, he was not telling them to live as citizens of Rome. Because in the book of Philippians, he actually says in chapter 3, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So Paul has already, in this, in this verse, he's actually admonishing us to live as citizens of heaven that our citizenship is not here on earth no matter what citizenship we might have here on earth but our true citizenship our true home is heaven and this is why we should live as such we should live as citizens of heaven I know a friend who once told me he's Canadian. He said that many times as Canadians, when they go to other countries, people cannot distinguish between a Canadian and an American. And for some reasons, they like to stand out to be known as Canadians and non-Americans. And see, he told me that they sometimes do certain things to indicate that they are Canadians. And he told me about how some many times Canadians have put something on their backpack, like a sticker to show uh, with a Canadian flag, to show that they are actually Canadians. And so, as they would want to stand out in, this, in, in a different way, the Lord wants us to stand out as citizens of heaven. And in fact, he says that we should live our lives, that lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Paul is therefore saying that there is a way of life that is befitting the gospel that has actually saved us. As you know, we as Christians, the gospel is the message that has actually saved us. The gospel is the good news of Jesus about his death and resurrection, his conquering of sin, his paying the penalty for our rebellion against God. It is that glorious message that should transform how we live, that should inform our lifestyle. So there is a life, a way of living that befits the gospel, our, our actions, our speech, how we live uh, at work, in our homes, in our families, how we uh, carry ourselves at our workplaces. We need to reflect on the gospel so that it informs how we live. So the good news about what Jesus has done, that he paid for our sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin, ought to inform that now we don't live in the same way. We don't uh, live in the same way that we, we live, used to live before he saved us. And yet if we are honest, we often get out of that. We forget who we are and we slip back into our old ways of living. That is why we need to be humble to acknowledge where we fail and say, this way of living, this way that I lived was not worthy of the gospel, was not befitting the good news that has actually saved me. Good news of Jesus Christ. And this was Paul's desires for, for the Philippians. And in fact, Paul says in, in Philippians 3 that those who are mature will acknowledge that they have not already attained maturity. They are still striving to be more like Jesus Christ. So gospel saturation, when we read this passage, will lead to gospel striving. Let me read it again so that you can see it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whether I'm in prison or I come and actually see you, he says, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what Paul is saying that as they are allowing to, themselves to live by the gospel, they will actually be striving side by side. He assumes that this gospel saturation will lead to gospel striving, the proclamation of Jesus. So point two, Paul wants them to strive side by side for the, for the faith of the gospel. Paul is calling the church to work together to see more people come to faith in the gospel. This means that they would actually, they would speak about Jesus in a corporate sense, not just individuals doing their own thing, although that would be great. But Paul is saying that there would be this unity around the advancement of the gospel, that they want Christ to be known together, that you can imagine a body of believers working together. In the, in the ancient world, there were different battle tactics, and one that stood out uh, was the shield wall that was, um, was carried out by different, uh, different groups, including the Romans. And they were, the Romans were well known for this. They would come together and put together their shields together until they formed something like a wall. Imagine, imagine thousands of soldiers lining up and forming this wall and then they would attack together. And they would be very difficult to defeat because all of them were acting together. It was difficult to penetrate that wall. And Paul is saying in a similar way, Christians should be striving side by side, working together side by side to make Jesus known, to proclaim the gospel. And so when we think about this, the church should be united with one purpose, to make Christ known. Everyone contributing to this. We love celebrating solo evangelists like, you know, the Billy Grahams uh, who are just going out and doing their thing as an individual. And yet we forget that even people like Billy Graham had those who supported them, men like Cliff Barrows and others who are partners with him in the proclamation of the gospel. And what Paul's vision here is and was that the church, different individuals, members of the church would actually be working together, striving to make Jesus known. Can you imagine that beloved, seeing people, you know, maybe two mothers brainstorming how to invite the other moms in their moms group to their gospel community. You can imagine um, a member praying uh, for uh, an unbelieving colleague at work and then asking uh, their mem the members are uh, other members are beloved to pray with them and then those members are holding them accountable asking them how what steps are they taking to invite them to church or to share the gospel with them the idea here is that it's evangelism is supposed to be communal a community thing not just an individual thing you can think, imagine two students on campus partnering to put on, uh, let's say, a dinner where they, can, they would invite their friends and then one of them would go ahead and share their testimony of how Jesus saved them. See, this is supposed to be, uh, the church is supposed to be united around this great purpose of making Jesus known, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
And Paul says that he wants to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit. That there will be this strength in, in, in their pursuit of making Jesus known. And not frightened by anything, by their opponents. And yet today as we look at the church, we are often, many of us, we get divided about so many things that many of them are not as important. I'm not saying there are not, uh, not things that are worthy being uh, dividing about, but often we forget that the great purpose of the church is to proclaim Jesus, to make him known, for us to work together towards that goal. We often lose focus of what actually matters, and we allow ourselves to be distracted and divided, and the enemy is actually happy when that happens. When the church is no longer united around the gospel to make Christ known as they seek to live together um, by the gospel, the enemy is pleased. But Jesus' purpose is that the gospel would be what unites us and would be what actually motivates us as we live together in community and as we seek to make Jesus known. Each one of us ought to be contributing. It's so sad when you hear some Christians maybe saying, yeah, I, won't, I don't share the gospel because I don't have that gift. But all of us are called. Maybe some of us may not be particularly gifted in, in evangelism, but the Lord actually has called us to work together with one another, to use our strengths, to use our gifts. We all bring something on the table as we seek to reach our neighbors for Jesus. And just like the Philippians, they found that it wasn't easy. They had actual enemies who did not like what they were doing. You know, today we may have more freedom of expressing our views, of sharing, and we should make much of that opportunity. But still we know that there will, there will be opposition to the gospel when it is actually clearly explained. People will hate it. And yet Paul says, don't be worried because you know that there is actually, as you continue to proclaim despite the opposition, that is a clear sign that there is judgment to come and that God will rescue you. God will save you. And finally, Paul tells them as well that as we do this, we are to remember when suffering comes that suffering has actually been given to us and gifted to us. It has been granted to us. It is a gift to share in the suffering of Christ. In fact, Paul says that he wanted to know Christ and to share in his sufferings. To share in his suffering. That was one of the ways that Paul saw as a way that we can actually know Christ better. So brothers and sisters, will you realize that your calling to make Christ known is tied up with the very people who are part of Beloved? Your brothers and sisters. And will you commit to being real partners with one another to work together to make Christ known, to see more people embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are citizens of heaven. We are called to live like such. What a privilege. Despite the challenges, despite our sin, 
yet we are called to every day to be reminded of who we are and live out of that identity. And as, as we have that gospel saturation in our lives, we are going to proclaim, we are going to make Jesus known together. What an honor that Christ has chosen you and I to accomplish his mission on earth. Praise be to God that he has called us to do this. And may the Lord be glorified. Thank you so much, friends. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for, for getting to hear this. And I pray that the Lord would use it for his glory. So let me pray as I conclude. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. May you continue to give us a great understanding of what it's saying and how it, we can apply it more and more in our lives. We ask all this that you may be glorified, that your name may be known in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.